Welcome, sports fans. You have entered the man cave of the one and only Fan Man, broadcasting from his lazy boy recliner somewhere in the Vale of Paradise known as Valparaiso, Indiana. Hey, sports fans. Welcome to the Fan Man Podcast. You can catch the Fan Man Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and most other platforms. And uh, we're back for another NFL show. This time we're going to be talking about last week's fantastic divisional games. And we're going to talk about all four of those fantastic games. And we'll also give you our predictions uh, for the conference championships in the AFC and the NFC. And to help me out with all of this, my partner in crime, Chad. Never tell a lie, Lincoln. Chad, how you doing? Doing great, Bill. I'm still wondering if some of those games have actually officially ended yet. They were going so well, it's like you didn't want them to finish. You know what? I really did not want them to finish. Um, It was just great. I mean, all day long, you know, both days, just great games. You know, it seemed like each game was a little bit better than the next game, culminating into the last game, and we're talking about the Buffalo game now, the Buffalo-Kansas City game that went into overtime, and then what do we hear afterwards? Everybody wants to be a downer. They just can't say, and I know the overtime thing is all messed up and the rules and all that, but just enjoy. Just say, hey, you know what? It was a great game, but no, you know what? These overtime rules suck, and then on the other side is, and this kind of cracks me up a little bit, is how come Buffalo didn't do a squib kick and some guy said that they should fire the coach. Everybody's got to have their opinion because they think that they're the sports radio guy that knows all. Right. It's like If you were a sports radio guy, you would have been on the phone to whoever was hosting the show after those games and said, I think this should have happened or this should have happened instead of putting it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever. Right. So... so- Right, so after the game, the Buffalo owner needs to stand up and says, you know what, there's another vacancy in the NFL coaching world. We've just fired McDermott. Had a great season, but he should have squib kicked you know, that ball. And I'm thinking, you want to balance that up about all the other nonsense some of these other coaches have been doing all season? I mean, that's one of those coulda, woulda, shoulda kind of things. It's like, yeah, he could have gone for a squib kick. But he chose not to. Right, but how much time? How much time would have? What are we talking about? Like two seconds? I don't even know if would it have been that much time difference. I don't think it would have, because whoever would have, whoever would have had the ball on the scoop kick would have just downed it. Yeah. They wouldn't have taken the, the chance to advance it. They would have just said, "We're going to take it from here and go from there." Right. We got a couple of times we can play with. You know, if you want to, if you want to lay blame, I think the blame needs to be laid maybe with with Leslie Fraser. You know, with some of the plays that ha- that Kansas City got away with there at the end, but I don't know. That's just one example. But it was a great weekend, and, and that's why I couldn't stand having to listen to all the stuff afterwards. Because you know what? They're talking about the game while the other game's they're talking about the bad stuff while the other game is on, and the other game was just as good. So it's like stop talking about all this crap and just like watch the games and enjoy them for what they are. Exactly. Then. What you could do is you could have had a show on Sunday night after the final game where all you did was rehashed all the bad things because for the most part, you've got all this stuff you can talk about and say this compared to this game or this compared to that game, you know, or this move compared to that move in a, in a particular game. 
but instead we're like let's take you away from actually watching the next game which might be just as exciting because yeah. we want to have our session Marie complain about every night yeah like, no just cover the game right that's right yep so uh four great games the best uh playoffs you've seen in your life I would say they are. I mean, I don't remember most of the, the playoff games in the past, some of them because I was either working on those days. I was in college, so I was probably competing in a track meet that weekend and didn't get to see the game. Or they were so far along the old that I just completely blew them out of my mind because they weren't that memorable. So. Yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, like I said to you off air. I mean, I've I've seen some obviously some great playoff games over the years, going all the way back to the Immaculate Reception. But I don't think there's been a season where I've seen this many games in one weekend as great as these games were. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I mean, people will tell me all the stories about the Dwight Clark catch back in '81, but it's like I wasn't really alive yet. I mean, I was a few weeks old. I wasn't exactly like pushing ten years old or anything, and it was my first football game. So yeah. it's like I'm not gonna put that play and how impactful it was. Yeah, uh, I'll see the and hear the stories about how impactful it was. But to me, okay. <laughs> right. So we're gonna we're gonna go through each one of these games and talk about them, and then uh, we'll give our predictions for next week. But I'm just gonna throw a little bit out here early on. I don't think this coming weekend's games will be as good. That's just my thought. Yeah, it feels like the, the weekend games coming up here, kind of like the uh, Finland and USA game in 80 when they uh, <laughs> It was like, you had all the, the greater games leading up to that, and then it's just like, oh, well, we know the U.S. is going to win. Well, in this case, it's like, we don't exactly know which of the four teams is going to go to the Super Bowl, but we at least know it's not going to be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. That means yeah. we can get But other than that, it's like, this might actually be a watchable Super Bowl, or it may just be another ho-hum, boring game. Right, right. So just like LeBron not being in the NBA championship last year, it's a little bit refreshing in a way, even though I like Tom Brady. It's a little bit refreshing knowing that Tom and Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers will be watching it instead of playing in it. Yes. You know, and... Although there are possibilities that maybe, um, I think NBC is hosting the game this year. That yeah. They try to get Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers to do some something through Peacock. Oh yeah. Where they're talking, the game is going on. That's a good call. That's a good. That's a good. Yeah, that's a good prediction there. I and like I, that. I, I think they take advantage of that to try to get people to order that package because, especially in February, you've got the Olympics and you've got the Super Bowl. That's the two things that NBC's pushing right now. Like you can get a lot of people watching the Super Bowl through Peacock if they're getting the opportunity to listen to it from Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers' view rather than Chris Collinsworth. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be good. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he likes to sometimes, you know, not say that much after a football game, but he likes the camera. He's got all that Jeopardy experience. Mm-hmm. Right? So I had a, I had a special category for Aaron Rodgers and Jeopardy who uh, quarterbacks – that are 0-4 in the playoffs against the 49ers for 200, please. <laughs> he probably wouldn't yeah. like that category. This, this is a category that probably wouldn't get touched too easily until maybe they ran out of the other categories. 
<laughs> right, right. All right, so we might as well get going here. This uh, playoff was the first postseason round in NFL history where four games featured a game-winning score on the final play. That is just, you can't, let's face it, you can't get any more amazing than that, right? Every All four games went down to the final play. Um, three went down to feet, to foots. On field goals, so, so right? Those three games would be in the, the great words of Jim McKay, the agony of defeat. Right. The agony of defeat. That's right. And the other one was one on the arm of Mahomes and uh, the receiving end of uh, Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey. Yep. Right, right. First time since the 2010 postseason that both one seeds lost in the divisional playoffs, that being uh, the Green Bay Packers and the Tennessee Titans. I knew the Tennessee Titans were a weak number one seed. Didn't you think they were a little weak for a one seed? They were weak, especially when you look at how the other teams stacked up against them. The other three division winners were not very strong either, especially in a division that seemed as strong as what the AFC West was. But it's like you're talking the Raiders and the Chiefs. It's like um, you're not really giving us much to work with there. So... You get a week number two in Kansas City, which doesn't seem like it's the right thing to say, but the way they played this season, they were exposed. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, do you think Ryan Tannehill is say, was said to himself, am I really a, 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 a number one seed? <laughs> I don't know that he believes <laughs> I was stuttering because he probably didn't believe it. Yeah. Based on the way things were with their schedule and everything this year, they basically cakewalked through and were able to get that one seed without even having to really blink. Right. So. Right. That's right. All right, so let's talk about the first game. The Bengals 19, the Tennessee Titans 16 rookie, Evan McPherson. And apparently people are buying his jersey big time right now. Uh, Kicked a 52-yard field goal as time expired, lifting the fourth seed of Bengals. Past the Tennessee Titans, 19-16 on Saturday to end the NFL's longest active road playoff skid uh, for Cincinnati. McPherson converted for his 11th field goal from 50 yards or longer, the most in the season for one player. He also became the first kicker in NFL history with at least four or more field goals in multiple games in a single postseason. And one thing we know, Chad, is, you know, when you get to the playoffs, especially now, you know, there's a little... You know, I mean, now a lot of these teams have to play three playoff games. These kickers are under immense pressure. And um, if you have a guy like, you know, McPherson, and we're going to talk about Robbie Gold later, those guys are so valuable, it's it's unreal, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the way that playoffs have been in the last few years or so, with the way that some of the defenses, defenses have developed things, kickers are being relied on even more than top receivers because the defenses are countering the, the top receivers with so much double coverage or so much zone coverage that they can and take out that top receiver. And everybody else is trying to figure out how they're going to be able to get the first down when they're only known for getting three to five yards per catch. And that three to five yards might be on first down. Yeah. So yeah. pictures are finding out that they're becoming a little more important than what they used to be. So Yeah. Yeah. They're part of the game a little more interesting and, Nail-biting, for sure. Yep. The Bengals intercepted Ryan Tannehill three times, sending up two McPherson 
uh, two of McPherson's four field goals. And Ryan Tannehill, you know, you knew, you know, right from the beginning of the game, there was going to be, it was going to be some Ryan Tannehill problems here in this one, huh? Yeah, I mean, you really knew it when uh, Cincinnati knew where he was throwing on that first pass they intercepted because it's just like it, it was telegraphed all season long. It's just so many other teams are not figuring it out and countering it with playing it either a double man or any kind of anything that worked against him because they're all thinking it's going to at some point cause himself to fall apart and he's going to be out so we're not going to have to worry about him. And here he is in the divisional round. It's like, how the heck did this work out? Well, let's see, coach. Did we play defense on them? No, we didn't. He was able to throw on us all day. Yeah. I mean, now, you know, after the game was over, and again, you know, I mentioned earlier all this talk after the game, but but during the game, you got to be sitting there thinking like, man, maybe Tennessee needs to make a move there at that position, huh? They're going to have to eventually. I mean, he's like 37, 38 years old. He's not going to be there for 10 years. Right, because he played so, in Miami, you know, too there for a while. So, yeah. right, yep. He's one of those journeyman quarterbacks that just keeps getting starting jobs because the team that he's with can't find anybody else who can learn the playbook fast enough. Right. So, he's got that ability to learn a playbook. It's just a matter of winning games with that playbook yep. that he's not always successful with. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about Joe Burrow. He hit Pro Bowl rookie receiver Jamar Chase with a 19-yard pass, and the Bengals ran twice to set up McPherson field goal for the winning field goal in that game, which was just intense there with a clutch kick. Burrow shook off being sacked nine times as Tennessee tied an NFL mark held by four other teams for the most of the postseason. And this is what you have to do, especially when you're a young quarterback, right? A lot of quarterbacks that we've seen, uh, in the NFL, you get sacked, and uh, you know nine times is an unbelievable amount of sacks. But you get sacked, and you lose confidence, right? You get, you know, you play, you know, you're shook up, and you play a little scared. But not Joe Burrow in this game, right? Yeah, he didn't look like he was deterred by the fact that he got sacked nine times. He just got up and said, "You know what, guys? Let's wash this off and go get the next one." Right. And they they usually countered that really well. So whenever he got hit, he didn't say, like, he didn't go to the sidelines and scream, get somebody in here that's going to protect me. He just said to the guys, you know what? Let's do better this next play. And they yeah. did. Yeah. So he, he didn't he didn't say to them, you know what, you guys screwed up, because they knew they screwed up. Yeah. It's just a matter of let's get the next one. And I think the difference with Joe Burrow, too, is the fact in college he played in a lot of big games. And let's face it, when you're in the SEC West, every game's a big game. And he also, you know, played in the national championship game in college and won that. So he's used to the big moment. Yeah, he, he definitely could handle the, the uh, big life of prime time from all the games that he, that he played in college that were on ESPN or wherever else. Yeah. And then also times that he was playing in top games where he was the feature story. He'd come out and, and say, you know what, this is the reason why I am who I am. Yeah. I play football. Whatever happens, happens. I don't let it bug me. I just go on to the next play. Yeah. And, tennis, and I think that's what, as a rookie, he's shown the maturity of, well, he's not a rookie anymore, but ever since his rookie year, he's shown that maturity of saying, you know what? We're a young team. We're developing. We're going to develop, and eventually we'll be where we need to be. Here we are three years later, and he's doing that. Yeah. 
them. And I think he likes playing for a team like this too that does not have a long history of success. And he's and he's you know making this team successful on his back there with with uh, with Jamar Chase to help him too. One of his uh, teammates there too, right? Yeah, I mean having Jamar Chase there definitely helped him with having a receiver he's been comfortable with for a couple of years. But also the fact that there's no expectations in Cincinnati of having to be the top team every year. They've always had that reliability on just go to the playoffs. Whether you're the one, the top team in the division, or you're the second team in the division. Just get to the playoffs. Yeah, under that's Marvin Lewis, right? Do. Yeah, that's all the fans want you to do is get to the playoffs. They don't care if it's a division title. They don't care if you're the number one seed, the number two seed. You just got to the playoffs. That's all that they wanted. They will support you whatever playoff spot you get. Right. So that's, right. That's one of the things that's always been good about the Bengals fan base is they they just say get to the playoffs. We will be there. Yep. We're and- gonna down. Yeah, and you know what's funny this year? You know, Cincinnati Bengals have been to two Super Bowls, and the both times they played in the Super Bowl was against San Francisco. They lost both of them. Just to keep that in people's, you know, the back of your mind there, that this could be another Cincinnati-San Francisco Super Bowl, I suppose. But Tennessee's five sacks in the first half were the most in the playoff game since January 8th of 2000 when the Titans sacked Buffalo quarterback Rob Johnson five times in that game, uh, and that was the motor, uh, the Music City, Motor City, Music City uh, Miracle Game. <laughs> what an ending that was. You remember that nope. one? Yeah. Burrow was the only the third quarterback to be sacked at least five times in the first half of a playoff game since 1991. And Burrow was the NFL's most sacked quarterback during the season, just ahead of Tannehill. And with all that said, they won, and he threw for 348 yards on top of it. Amazing. Yeah, and the, it says here in your notes, he was the first quarterback taken as the number one overall pick to win a divisional game within his first few seasons. So it's like he's coming yeah. in with no expectations of having to be the best. It's just go out there and play football and, and win. Yep. That's, yep. that's all he's being asked to do is go out there and play football. He doesn't have to be throwing for 500 yards and 15 touchdown passes. He can throw for 205 yards and have a touchdown pass and – have the running game doing most of the work, and as long as they win, they don't have a problem with what he does. It's just a matter of go out there, play football, win games. Right. They're not putting so much unnecessary pressure on him to win games big or to be a division champ every year that he's in the league. Yep. And that's like for a young guy like that is just having that confidence that whatever I do, they've got my back. That's right. Chase finished with 109 yards receiving. Joe Mixon ran for the Bengals' lone touchdown, a 16-yarder on their first drive of the third quarter. A lot of times, you know, a lot of a lot of times in this game, I was, I started realizing, you know, like one touchdown, that's all they got here. But um, it was enough with the field goals. Yeah, especially when you're causing the Titans to turn the ball over so much, and you're wasting clock, or you're using so much clock because you're running the ball. Or in the case of uh, of Joe Burrow, you're getting sacked nine times. It's like that's time taken off the clock because the clock keeps running even when you've been sacked. Yep. So he benefited from the fact that everything that went wrong kept the clock moving. Yep. So yep. a lot of teams, that kind of thing happens, and they just put their head down and it's like game over. In his case, he's like, you know what? I might have gotten sacked nine times, but in that nine times, 
we had at least on average probably about 20 seconds of game clock that went off that was a benefit to us because it allowed us to say that Tennessee's not going to be able to get that extra 20 seconds to score on us. Right. Yep. And Derrick Henry, you know, the 2020 AP NFL Offensive Player of the Year, uh, he was on the field, you know, after he missed nine games with that broken foot, and he ran for a touchdown and finished with 66 yards for uh, for Henry. But it was kind of like, where was he, right? Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that we kind of noted the last podcast was, how healthy is he going to be? How effective is he going to be? We don't know anything because we haven't seen him for a while. So we don't know if he's going to be coming in, like, bad out of hell or if he's going to come in DOA. Right. Right. And uh, Tannehill, you know, it was just a bad sign right off the get-go. You know, first play of the game, he throws an interception. Then his second came on first and goal at the Bengals' nine in the third. Uh, Tannehill finished with 220 yards. A.J. Brown had five catches for 142 yards. And it's really kind of sad for Tennessee because you got A.J. Brown and you got Julio Jones. Two big, good receivers. Well, you can, you can say they're great, really. I mean, they got great, and the tight end's good too, right? So he's got... And he's got Derrick Henry, so they got pieces there, don't they? They do have pieces, but I think the main reason why they went Julio Jones was so that Tannehill had a veteran receiver to go to. Because I don't know how, myself how many years A.J. Brown's been in the league, because I don't follow Tennessee that closely. Yeah. But when Julio Jones has been in the league for a while, and you get that ability to throw to somebody that's got that much confidence in, his, in himself, even this late in his career, you want to have that around so that it helps the other guys kind of mature into their roles in the uh, team in the future. But yep. I don't know that A.J. Brown's going to have that opportunity because Tennessee's going to be going with a new quarterback within the next year or two. Yep. Tannehill's not going to be around forever. Yeah. So I think Vrabel, you know, he made a mistake in this game. I mean, at least you could say it now, but I thought, at this, I thought when it happened he made a mistake too, is when, you know, they had Henry there. They had a fourth and one with 7-16 left. And um, Derrick Henry was stopped on a fourth and one at the Cincinnati 37. And they, you know, if they would have tried a field goal, it would have been a long one, but they would have been leading in the game with 7-16 left, right? So that was a huge play. Forget about everything else, Townhill's interceptions and Burroughs' play, forgetting about everything else. That was the huge play of the game, right? It was a definite step in the wrong direction for Tennessee because it's like, what are you looking to hope to get by not running this particular play that would have benefited you in the long run because you wanted to do something completely and totally different and not maybe going for the field goal? You know, you're wanting to, what are you trying to do? Uh, get six points? Yeah. Because then you're, you're, you throw it wrong. And with Tannehill having three interceptions by this point, you throw that fourth one, your offense is like, the heck is going on here? And it's a pick six. So it's yeah. like it works in the wrong favor because you've given up now six points because you're just looking and went he threw it to the wrong guy. So you just stand there in amazement while he runs away. Yep. Going to the scoring again, you know, it was six nothing after the first quarter. McPherson hits the two field goals. And then we go, you know, the second quarter, Henry's three yard touchdown run, and then I thought a very dubious uh two point attempt, which I understood, you know, maybe they got a little closer with the penalty, but they failed that, and it was six six. And I'm thinking, just get the lead, go up seven to six here, but they failed the 
failed that. Did you like that two-point conversion in a situation like that, or you just kicked a field goal and get the 7-6 lead? I would have just kicked the field goal. I mean, it's yeah. too early in the game to bring it about two points. It is. I mean, if it was a case where it was early in the game and you scored the touchdown, go ahead and maybe put some fear into them and see what you can do about maybe getting the two points. But when you're down 6 nothing, you just go get the lead. You don't worry about it being a two-point lead. Just kick the field goal. Right, it's right. Just it's just like in basketball when you got a team on the free throw line and you need the points, make the free throw. Don't worry about the results afterwards when you might be able to get the rebound and get the extra two points to maybe another free throw. Yeah. Just hit the tab. Those will add up. In I, this case, hit the field goal gives your team confidence that they can potentially keep this game going in their direction. Unfortunately, after that, McPherson comes out, hits that next field goal, they're down 9-6 going into halftime. Yep. And uh, I got a saying now. I say analytics are greedy. Yeah. Analytics are trying to play too much in the game and trying to be the be-all, end-all. And it's like, you know, for every analytic that's out there, do they put a uniform on? Do they put pads on? Do they get hit? Well, no one's going to use that chart, you know, the chart that tells you when to go for two. It's never going to be a defense to your uh, owner of the team when you lose the game. Well, the chart said I should have went for it. <laughs> well, the chart will lose you a Super Bowl, won't it? It will not only lose you a Super Bowl, but potentially lose you the confidence of your fan base. Right. Because all they're hearing now is, well, the chart told me this, the chart told me that, the chart told me this. You saw that in Dallas with McCarthy. Oh, please. You yeah. see that around other parts of football? Because then it's going to be just like baseball pretty soon. Where it's, well... The computer told me to do this when we had runners on second and third and a left-handed batter up. It's like, did the computer also tell you when to go to the bathroom? Well, you know what? Maybe we won't need a manager one day. Uh, I don't think you're going to get to that point. you got to have that human <laughs> element. In yeah. Yeah. Well, McPherson hits another field goal, you know, 54-yarder before the end of the half. So it's 9-6 at the halftime. Then, you know, Mixon runs in that 16-yard touchdown. Now it's 16-6 to Cincinnati. And then Tennessee gets a field goal in the third, making it 16-9. And then Tannehill with a 33-yard pass to A.J. Brown, which was nice. It, then it tied at 16. And that's when McPherson uh, and the Cincinnati Bengals moved the ball into range for McPherson. And the dude doesn't need too much. He kicked a 52-yarder with four seconds left. And that was, uh, that was all she wrote there for uh, the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, I mean, the way that things are going lately, especially with a lot of games, it's you give the, a team enough time to get into whatever their field goal kicker's range is, you just have to hope your defense steps up. Otherwise, you're giving them the opportunity to get three easy points on you because they know their kicker's going to hit it from 47 yards you know, or wherever the first down marker might be. They can hit it from there. It's just a matter of what your defense going to do to step up. And in most cases, the defense is like, we're going to go into this zone and hope they they just get to the first down and then maybe screw up the clock. It's like, you dummy. They get the first down, they're bringing the kicker in because there's going to be about four seconds left. Right. So, yep. play the ball, don't play the runner. That's right. So, you're ready to move to the next game? That I am. All right, so the next game we're going to talk about is the game that happened uh, that same evening. It was the 49ers and the Packers. And you would expect... More points if for the, from the 49ers and the Packers, and I'm sure the over-under wasn't 23. 
Uh, it was the 49ers 13 and the Packers 10. And um, wow, 10 points for the Green Bay Packers. Packers on a field that was sort of like, you know, it seemed like the snow got heavier in the second half, but the weather, it was cold as hell. The, <laughs> there was snow going on. The field was getting whiter as the game was going on. And Robbie Gold made a 45-yard field goal Saturday night, last Saturday night. Uh, as time expired, I think there was four seconds when he kicked it. And San Francisco knocks off the top-seeded Packers 13-10 to and maybe ender, ending Aaron Rodgers' tenure in Green Bay, right? It's very possible. I mean, I, I've seen reports that Matt LaFleur wants him to come back. He wants the Packers to do everything they need to to get him back. But my thought is, at this point, you've got so many young guys on that team that if you keep Aaron Rodgers around too long, you're going to run into the same problem they're having with Devontae Adams, where it's like once Rodgers is gone, he's going to want to go. So now you've got six or seven guys that want to leave because your quarterback's gone. Do you really want to handle that? in the next three or four years because you kept Aaron Rodgers around for too long. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Bears fan, and I'm thinking to myself, it's time to let him go. Do, do <laughs> the same as what somebody has done over the years, whether it was San Francisco with Joe Montana or it was uh, Indianapolis with Peyton Manning. Let him go. It's not going to be a problem. Your team's going to come back at some point. It's just a matter of you got to let history be history. Right. And the kid you drafted might pan out. You never know, right? Yeah, I mean, you look at San Francisco, they all, they all knew what they had in Steve Young, but it was like, is he going to be the next Joe Montana? Well, sure enough, he, he was another version of him. Oh, man, Maybe but in terms of the ability to win games, he was there. But then after that, it's like, what do you have left? Because they haven't really had a, a strong quarterback since. Give or take what Jimmy Garoppolo has been able to do these last few years. Right. But... That's not saying that he's going to be the, the third coming of Joe Montana for them. Yeah. So Robbie Gold, um, another huge kick for him. He's made all 20 of his career playoff field goal attempts. And this last one, you know, was just, you know, completed an improbable comeback by scoring 10 unanswered points in the last five minutes of the game. And uh, the thing I think, I think about when I think of the tenacity at the end of that game of the 49ers, I keep thinking about that Debo Samuel had that big play and then he's limping off the field. It was like something that I haven't seen since uh, Emmitt Smith played with a separated shoulder against the Giants in the playoff game. It was some effort uh, by Debo Samuel in that entire game. And actually, even in the Cowboy game, the guy has been lights out, huh, in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, he's been amazing for the 49ers. And it's almost like if I remember, my memory is not going to remember ever seeing this game, but the uh, Nick that came out of the game with his ankle injury or whatever it was, and yeah. then came back ridiculously. Every team is looking for that particular type of thing in a, in a playoff game because they're wanting to rally around somebody. And you're thinking Devo Samuel might be that guy for the, for the 49er fans. We just have to see what goes on with the next game because he's had some injury history lately. So never know. He may be yeah. in a situation where doing kind of thing in the conference championship or even in the Super Bowl. Right. That far. Yep. So, yeah. and the way this game panned out with the final four, the over-under might have been that for the first half for some people instead of yep. what it was at the score. So, it makes it seem like the defense was strong, but it was more like the offense is just
but 0-4 in playoff starts against the 49ers. And Rodgers is now the first quarterback in NFL history to lose four playoff starts to a single opponent. Um, you know, so there, there's a stat that's negative <laughs> for Aaron Rodgers, obviously, and it made for some good Twitter material, him being 0-4 there for um, against the San Francisco 49ers. And this game, I thought the key moment of this game really was is when San Francisco uh, tied it with 4:41 left, thanks to that breakdown by the Green Bay special teams, and it's been the Packers' biggest weakness all season. We had that blocked punt, which resulted in a touchdown. It was kind of funny. The punt was blocked, and every guy, for some reason, it was like unreal. Every guy for Green Bay was looking all over the place except where the ball was. Did you know? I don't know if you noticed that. Every one of the linemen, everybody had their head turned, but they were all turning in the wrong direction. And it seemed like the only guy that knew where the ball was was the 49er guy that picked it up and ran it in the end zone. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things where you want to have somebody on the sideline screaming, hey, the ball's over here, the ball's over here, the ball's over here. Yeah. But, the, like, um, I, the, it's like they all went blind or deaf. Yep. was a massive play there. And then after the Packers went three and out, uh, the 49ers got the ball back at their 29 with 320 left and drove into field goal range. And that's the play I was talking about earlier. Debo Samuel you know, had that nine-yard run on third and seven, got the first down, and he's limping off the field, and here comes Robbie Golden, right, to kick the game-winning field goal. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those kind of plays where it's like you expected something, but... You didn't think it was going to be Debo Samuel making a play like he did. Yeah. Make sure that you could get Robbie Golden to hit a, a field goal that he's going to hit regardless of what the weather is. Right. And um, after the game, a lot of Green Bay Packers fans put out there, fire Drayton. Uh, Maurice Drayton, I think, is the uh, special teams coach for Green Bay, and they want him out in a big way now <laughs> after that. Because yeah. even before the block punt, you had the uh, – San Francisco's Jimmy Ward blocked a 39-yard field goal uh, from Mason Crosby on the final play of the first half, and um, that prevented the Packers from extending the lead. And then, um, you know, and then they had uh, they allowed, you know, then Debo had that big return in the second half of the kickoff, 45 yards. So the special teams was breaking down. They said all season, but definitely in this game, right? Yeah, I mean, when it, when it mattered most, Green Bay just didn't show up. And it's like this Murray Strayton was today's version of Dom Capers when their defense was falling apart a few years ago. Everybody wanted McCarthy to just go right up to Dom Capers and say, get the heck out of here, I'm taking over, or somebody else from the coaching staff is going to take over defense. But he wouldn't do it until the season was over when the uh, front office forced his hand on it. Yep, yep. Jimmy G in this game, you know, not much from Jimmy G. 11 of 19 for 131 yards with an interception, but they still managed to win. And maybe the beauty of this Shanahan guy as the coach is he's finding ways to win without having to rely on the quarterback, which is which is something in and of itself, huh, to say? Kind of opposite of what his dad was where he needed John Elway yeah. all those years. Yeah. So it's like he's finding that unsung hero within his roster that you can say, hey, I need you to turn things on here go out there and do your thing and they do it yep yep 
Just a breakdown of the scoring. First quarter, A.J. Dillon has that six-yard run, and Green Bay gets off to a quick 7-0 lead. Nothing going on after that. And then Robbie Gold kicks a 29-yard field goal in the third quarter to make it 7-3 Green Bay. And then Crosby makes it 10-3 in the fourth with a 33-yard field goal. And um, 10-3 Green Bay, and we're in the fourth quarter. And that block punt, you know, was a key moment in that game. Tied the game 10-10, and then you had Robbie Gold with the 45-yard field goal, again with four seconds. Just the you know, same deal as the Cincinnati game ended, right? Yep, that's right. Four seconds is like the magic number this weekend. Yeah, four seconds. Four seconds, and you had a good kicker. You could blink and be able to say we're going to make it. And sure enough, in most cases, that's what happened. Right. So Saturday is over, and we had two great games ending in field goal victories. And now we move to Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Rams 30, Bucks 27. Another Another great game that went down to another field goal. 42 seconds was just enough for Matt Stafford to pull off a Brady-like finish that sent the Rams to the NFC Championship game for the second time of four seasons with a 30-27 victory over Tampa Bay. Stafford threw for 366 yards and two touchdowns without an interception, and that was a big deal, I thought, going into this game. I thought the Rams had a chance to win as long as Stafford didn't throw an interception. And, um, you know, Cooper Cup, two big passes, you know, a pair of long completions, two big passes to Cooper Cup that put them in that position for the Matt Gase 30-yard field goal. I guess we'll forget about uh, Cup's fumble earlier in the game, but kick that big 30-yard field goal uh, to win it, right? So um, you like what Stafford did in this one? I actually like what Stafford's been doing all season because he actually had confident receivers, and he had a team that could protect him because LA built that team for that sake. A lot of people said to me, no, they really actually bought the team for that sake. And it's like, well, yeah, they bought the team, but they had to build it a certain way, even with the money, because they wanted to win and they needed to win now. And especially when they spend all this money on a quarterback and send away what they thought was going to be the future of their organization at quarterback to find out that, nope, they needed something better and they found it because now they're going into the NFC Championship game after they thought they were going to have that with Jared Goff. And it's like, we found better, and it's because he needed things to throw to him, players that were going to play the game, not just be there because, well, they got picked by Detroit. So, And Cooper Cup has been a top receiver for L.A. for at least three or four years now. He had a couple of yips this game, but he overcame it by getting in a situation where he could get um, Matt Gay into that position for the 30-yard field goal. So, yeah, he had the fumble, but he was able to get out of that and say, you know what, I know I can I can get us back into it. That was a mistake that happened. I'll work with it. Good players do that kind of thing. They don't just sit there and shrug their shoulders and hang their head. They just go, you know what, there's still time. We can do this. Right. That's right. And um, so, you know, there's a point in this game now where the Bucks are up twenty. I mean, the um, the Rams are up twenty-seven to three, and here come here comes the mistakes from the Rams, and here comes Tom Brady. And I thought, don't tell me we're going to see another Atlanta Falcon uh, thing going on like the Super Bowl from a few years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I mean, Brady being down so much, it's like, are we seeing the end of Tom Brady as we know him? 
<laughs> and then all of a sudden, LA kind of gives things up a little bit, but then they came back, and it's like, okay. <laughs> right. Well, Brady rallied because of three, you know, tur- th- <laughs> from three of the four turnovers of the Rams and then tied the game. And this was a huge play, too. I mean, tied the game. It was like fourth down. They hand it off to Leonard Fournette, and he runs nine yards into the end zone with 42 seconds remaining. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is really going to happen. You know, Tampa Bay is going to come back and win this game. And Tom Brady's going to be riding off on that white horse again. Um, I really, <laughs> you know, I kept thinking, are they really going to blow this? But then once Fournette went in that end zone and tied it, I'm thinking, like, man, this is going to happen. But good for the Rams, you know. They hung in there at least. A Stafford found Cup wide open behind the Bucks secondary on a 70-yard scoring play that put L.A. up 17-3 early in the second quarter. And Brady, meanwhile, completed 30 of 54 passes for 329 yards, one touchdown, and one interception, and then sacked three times and lost a fumble. So, um, but it was an amazing, you know, amazing comeback there with that one-yard run by, by Fournette. And then what Stafford did there, you know, at the end of that game um, and got them in a position for that game-winning field goal, right? Yeah. I mean, there were so many things that happened in the game that could have made it worse or Tampa Bay could have had a lead far sooner, but LA kept themselves in it. That's right. Well, you had the Acres fumble. You had that, and that was another huge play. Uh, that gave, yeah, yeah. that got Tampa Bay back in, right? Yeah. Especially the one that was at, at the Tampa Bay one. He was on the verge of scoring and they fumbled. Right. So, That's right. They, and yep, that was Cam Akers, yeah. I think. On no, that was uh, wasn't that the that was Cooper Cup on that one. On the Tampa one. Wasn't that Cooper Cup on that fumble, or was that no? A- that one was on the the Cooper Cup one was. Around like the 30th. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah, they got, there got to be so many turnovers, I couldn't keep track of them yeah. there while they were going on. Like the Cooper Cup was stripped on his hands, I think just dropped it. Yeah. Trying to move forward. And that's going to be a situation that uh, hopefully LA is working on this week in practice is making Cooper Cup work and holding on to the ball when he's in, in the uh, gut so that mm-hmm. he doesn't lose it. Yeah, he's always because thinking about making it. Uh, picking up a few extra yards, and he's probably forgetting to hold on to the ball. Yeah. I mean, he, he probably could have had a touchdown on that one, but he let it go. So. Yeah. Well, just to go through some of the scoring here, the first quarter, Matt Gay, 26-yard field goal, ramps up 3 nothing. Then Stafford hits uh, Kendall Brown for a 70-yard touchdown pass, 10 nothing. Ryan Suckup comes back in the first quarter. Uh, for Tampa Bay, gets a field goal. So after one, it's the Rams 10, uh, the Bucks 3. And then Stafford with a 70-yard strike. We mentioned earlier the Cooper Cup. Now it's 17-3. Matt Gay hits a field goal. And we go into halftime with the Rams up 20-3. And you're thinking, okay, Brady can come back here. But not enough because Stafford rushes up the middle for a TD. And now the Rams are up 27-3. And that's when it looked like the sky was falling. Uh, for the Rams, because then Suckup kicks a 31-yarder to make it 27 to six. Fournette runs uh, for a touchdown, 27 to 13. And Tom Brady hits Mike Evans for a 55-yard strike. Um, oh, Jalen Ramsey just got lost in the sauce there, 27 to 20. 
And then Fournette rushes in there and gets ties the game with that nine-yard touchdown, 27-27. to And then Matt Gay's 30-yard field goal with four seconds left. And almost, I'll tell you what, Matt Stafford did a heck of a job getting his team down there for that uh, for that last you know spike to stop the clock, huh? Yeah, I mean he had to because I don't believe they had any timeouts left at that I, point, or if they did, they were holding on I, to that last one. I think they were. Happened. Yeah, I think they so were I, out. Might have been that time. Yeah. So it was a got to do what you got to do to make sure you stop the clock. Yep, that's right. Anything else before we move on to the next game? <laughs> With this one, um, not really. I mean, if they, they had any more issues with holding onto the ball, it might have been a, a laughing stock of a game for both teams because of the amount of times this ball was lost. But there was, wasn't too much you could do on this one because both teams just struggled where they needed to be really competitive. Right. So. All right, so the next, the last game we're going to talk about is the Kansas City Chiefs and um, – and Buffalo and the Buffalo Bills. And I think, you know, those other three games were great, but I think this is the game that's going to be left with the memories, don't you think, on this one? Yeah, I mean, there's so many memorable plays in this game in terms of touchdown passes or who caught them or who stood out for who that it's like, why did we not have this from the other three games? Because in most cases, we're going to go, oh, yeah, it was just basically the Cooper Cups and the Devontae Adams and the the guys that were expected to do things. This one, we're getting a player that nobody really expected to do as much as he did in this game. And he stood out big yep. for Buffalo. Yes, he did. And um, and this is why people love football, right? Because every once in a while, not mud, not as good as this one, but this is why you watch football for games like this, right? Yeah, I mean, this, this player here, it made you think of some of those players that whether it's the NCAA tournament or that one guy off the bench in the in baseball right. that doesn't get playing time during the season, but then in the playoffs he's relied on because he just shows up all of a sudden and his glove is like a, a bag of stick on. The ball just stays in his glove and he's able to make the plays. Or his bat comes out of nowhere and he's able to get so many RBIs that he wasn't able to get during the season because they kind of took the green light off of what he normally would do and say, we're going to put the green line on this because we need you to do it. Because nobody else will. Right. Yep. So Josh Allen's decision in overtime, you know, with the coin toss, probably was his only mistake the whole night because he didn't do anything else wrong. And I had a feeling, you know, I, I took Kansas City in this game and um, because I thought he was going to make some mistakes along the way. And good for him. He didn't make those mistakes like I thought he would make. And then, you know, after... After Mahomes got the ball in overtime, marched down the field, um, but you know, then finds Travis Kelsey in the corner of the end zone from eight yards, and it was all over, 42 to 36. Um, the lead changed hands three times in the final two minutes of regulation, and there was 25 points scored over that stretch, and there was probably people watching this game thinking, "Hey, I took the under on this. Looks like I'm in good shape." And boy, they got wiped out quick, right? They sure did. I mean, this was one of those games that when you thought your team had the lead or had the heavy game locked up, the coin flips in your own hand, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what the, what the heck did they wait to score this one, or what did the defense not do? 
you know, it just kept you thinking about what happened. And then all of a sudden, the next play would happen, and it's like, well, that did. That's right. And then you're scoring, so it's like, well, never know what's going to happen next. So it just kept you, kept you guessing, kept you wondering, and definitely kept you watching. Right. And uh, good for Harrison Butker because pretty good kicker, but in this game he missed a field goal and an extra point, and he's asked to come in there. Um, you know, as time was expiring, regulation, he had to kick the, he had to make this field goal, and he drilled that forty-nine yarder. Uh, and then you know the Chiefs got the ball back, you know, in overtime, and and I had a feeling it was all going to be the Chiefs once they got the ball in overtime first because that Buffalo defense was getting gas and they had to go back on the field, right? Yeah, I mean, that that last five minutes of the game, including overtime, it was just, wow, who's going to be the survival of the fittest here? And, yeah, we can say the overtime rule, especially for the playoffs, does need to change. But you really saw which team wanted it more. And I think, had you given Buffalo that chance, they may have taken it and run, or they may have thrown the ball away. Who knows? Yep, that's right. Mahomes finished with 378 yards passing and three touchdowns, including a 64-yarder to Tyreek Hill during the thrilling final minutes of regulation and the, and then the clutch throw to Kelsey uh, you know, to win it. But what's lost here in all of this game, I think, really, is that play by Tyreek Hill. That guy is something else, huh? It was like yeah, he just guess. broke free. And then once he got behind the defenders, it was all over, huh? Yeah, I mean, especially on that 64-yarder where it's like you thought he was going to get hit, and then all of a sudden he's able to find the, the opening and just burn. Yeah. And it just kept going and going. And you're just like, is anybody going to stop him? The yep. only thing we could stop him that play was the end zone. And I always think there's a difference between quickness and speed. I've seen some wide receivers who are quick, but they don't have the speed. And then I see some guys that have the speed, but they're not quick. This guy is does both like I've never seen before. The guy is like when he catches a ball, he makes like two or three yards out of nothing. Most most guys fall on the ground. This guy finds that extra yard, meaning he's quick. And then once he gets once his quickness gets out of the jam and he can turn the speed on, nobody can catch him. And I, I, at that weird situation where he knows he needs like three or four yards but he also knows where the opening is going to be when he gets there that he can make it into another 10, 15, 20 yards yeah. or even into the zone. So right, right. And, how to play that ability. and I wanted to mention that because I think that play and him in particular got lost a little bit in this game and what a huge run. What a, I mean that was, that was really that was kind of all him there wasn't it though? Yeah, it was. I mean, the only thing that was really stopping him was himself yeah. in the long run. And you thought to yourself, who else in this league could have did this? Now, I, I could see OBJ doing that possibly, but there's not that many receivers in the league that can do that. If not any, maybe he's the only one. Yeah, because a lot of the ones, like even in OBJ, there aren't that many other that other players that they really fear as much as they do Travis Kelsey or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, or Mikel Hardman. Or McCole Hardman, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. But Rick Hill's got three other guys that they they could be countering to say the ball's going to go to him. So he's like, okay, I know they're they're looking forward to go to this guy. I'm going to be over here. 
and I know Patrick's going to find me, and I'm going to be able to get a CR, and we're going to get that first down, or I'm going right. to get to the end zone. Yep. So he just he just is able to see the fact that they're countering by going against whether it's Chelsea or it's waiting to see what Edwards is going to do or it's what Hardman's going to do. Right. So he can really get going. Yep. Back to Josh Allen. I mean, he basically did everything he could uh, to win this game. He threw the go-ahead touchdown pass to Gabriel Davis with 154 left in the reg- in regulation, and then another to Davis, which was his, Davis's fourth touchdown reception with 13 seconds in, remaining in regulation. And that's when he thought, okay, man, Buffalo's going to, going to uh, the AFC Championship game. Uh, Allen finishes with 300 and. In 29 yards passing, and Davis with eight catches for 201 yards as uh, the Bills lost their ninth straight road playoff game, a streak that includes last year's loss to Kansas City in the AFC title game. So, man, this is like deja vu all over again with the Bills, you know, they're losing four Super Bowls in the 90s, and now they can't get out of Kansas City, huh? Yeah, I mean, it did feel like deja vu all over again because they lost to him. In the championship game last year, yeah. This year they a game earlier, but it's like this was the game that make or break whatever happened. Somebody was going to stand out as the hero in this game, and then all of a sudden Josh Allen, you see him on the sidelines, and he's like, "What the heck does happen?" And right. I don't know if it was this, and he was like, "Yeah, I screwed up the coin flip. I should have should have wanted it." the other way so I could get the ball but it's just like he was going to see what happened for necessarily forgetting that if and we saw it happen that Kansas City scored a touchdown game over because the defense wasn't going to probably be able to hold them to another field goal so yeah and um right Let's, let's talk about the, the scoring here. So the first quarter, Devin Singletary rushes for a one-yard touchdown. Buffalo's up 7 nothing. Still in the first quarter, Mahomes with an eight-yard touchdown run to tie the game. And I think the difference this year with Kansas City as opposed to last year is that Mahomes is healthy. Last year, he was banged up last year in the, in the playoffs, and he was unable to run like he is now. And in this one, he had the eight-yard touchdown, but he's a lot more active in the pocket and going out of the pocket than he was last year. So that's a good sign for Kansas City going forward here to the AFC Championship game and maybe a Super Bowl again. But And I think it's going to help here having Mahomes healthy. And you saw that, I thought, on that eight-yard touchdown run. It tied in the first quarter, right? Yeah, it just kind of looked like he was back to his old self. And it's like, watch out, Buffalo. You could be in trouble here because Mahomes is looking like the Mahomes that we knew from two years ago. Yeah, yeah. And then in the second quarter, Mahomes, two-yard touchdown pass to Brian to Byron Pringle. It's 14-7. And then Allen in the second quarter throws an 18-yard pass to Gabriel Davis to tie it 14-14. So we're at the half. It's 14-14. And then Bunker in the third quarter kicks a field goal, puts Kansas City up 17-14. And then McCall Hardman, 25-yard touchdown rush. But then Bunker misses the extra point. And Kansas City is up 23-14. to 14. And then Allen, I'm going to tell you, I haven't seen <laughs> this 75-yard touchdown pass he threw to Gabriel Davis was a thing of beauty. I mean, that thing was on a rope. Yeah, I mean, Davis was on the dime that was being looked at the entire time. Like, he's going to be there for it. So, 
Josh Allen just knew where to throw it, knew that Davis was going to be there to catch it. And from there, it was just, was he going to make it to the end zone or not? Yeah. You know, on draft night, when they, you know, somebody gets taken in the draft and they have the film of the guy and Mel Kuyper's talking about him and all this stuff. <laughs> if this was, this is the pass right here. I mean, if you had to say, can you do this? This is the pass right here that just, you just watch that, that 70 yard throw, well, completion and Gabriel Davis ran too with it, but it was an amazing pass. I mean, it was just one of the most amazing passes I've seen in a long time by a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, that thing was spot on. He just knew where Gabriel Davis was, was supposed to be on it and left it there for him to get to it. And yeah. that's, that's how every pass between a good quarterback and receiver should be. But a lot of times it's just so rushed because they're trying to make things happen too quickly. In this case, it's like, put it up there, he's going to get to it. That's I don't right. have to worry about where it's going to be or if it's too far or too high or what. It's in the right spot, he's going to get to it, and I know it. Right. So you just left alone. Right. So after that play, you knew you you knew we were going to be in for some finish, right? Because it looked like Kansas City was going to pull away, and then you had that big touchdown to Davis there. And now it's twenty three to twenty one in the fourth quarter. Butker comes back with a twenty eight yard field goal. Kansas City's up twenty six to twenty one, and then Josh Allen again to Davis, twenty seven yard touchdown pass, and they go for two and get it. I can't criticize them now because they made it. I guess it's. 29 to 26 Buffalo. And um, then Mahomes with a 64 yard, I'll call it a touchdown pass, but it really was a heck of a run by uh, Tyreek Hill. And now it's Kansas City 33, Buffalo 29 with a minute and two left on the clock. And at that point, you thought Kansas City won, right? Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not enough because Allen comes back again with a touchdown pass of 19 yards to Davis. And now Buffalo is up 36 to 33 with 17 seconds. And um, they get the ball in field goal range for Butker, who, uh, with uh, ice water in his veins, kicks a 49 yard field goal. Three seconds ties it 36 to 36. Kansas City wins the, toy, uh, the coin toss. And Mahomes eventually hits uh, Kelsey with that eight yard touchdown pass. And it's 42 36. Kansas City wins. And what I thought was really interesting, after the game was over, uh, Mahomes ran all the way, like about 90 yards he ran, to go see Josh Allen, and they embraced after the game. And it reminded me of an embrace that you would see after a 15-round heavyweight boxing match. Because I think both of those guys, after that game, realized in that second half of the game it was mano-mano, right? Yeah, it was like, we just made ourselves the future of the game at the quarterback position because yeah. of the fact that we both superb game each we both played our game we didn't force things where they needed to be where we thought they most people would think you'd force things we just played football we knew what our team could do we're showing what the future of the nfl is going to be in our game right here and if it, it had the chance to be able to watch the two games saturday and the game before theirs they were seeing some quarterbacks in those games they aren't going to be around much longer. So it's like, it's our time to shine, and we did. You know, and I think we're going to see a lot, especially come draft time, talk about what Kansas City and Buffalo are going to be doing to improve themselves to get back to the championship game or to get back into the playoffs and right. do it with the same pieces they've got plus whatever they bring in. Yep. So you got quarterbacks watching this game like Dak Prescott, Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill. 
uh, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones, right? All playoff quarterbacks watching this thinking, this is what I have to do. This, <laughs> what do I have to do to beat Patrick Mahomes, right? Everybody's been asking that for like the last three years since Mahomes became Mahomes in the playoffs. What do I got to do to beat this guy? And it's like, you got to match him mano a mano. Everything that you do, that he does, you have to counter it the same way. Because the defense isn't going to know what to do if we if you play the kind of football you should be playing. Because they're expecting you to play the kind of football that they've seen on video instead of the kind of football that you're going to show up with. Right. And really what it shows, too, is like to beat Buffalo and to beat Kansas City, I mean, it was like a Super Bowl game, let's face it. They could have played in the Super Bowl and we would have been fine. Um, But it really shows you the high level that you have to play at the quarterback position in the playoffs to be successful. I mean, you know, we see quarterbacks week in and week out, whoever it is, Sam Darnold, you know, I can go through them all, Uh, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins and the rest of them, Lamar Jackson and everybody else, right? This is how good you have to be, guys. All those quarterbacks are watching this. They? This is how good you have to be to win a Super Bowl now. You know? Yep. You keep holding back on anything anymore because everybody's got enough tape on you and they're all watching the All-22s every game or they're they're all watching it whenever they want to because it's not you have to go sit in a small room for 16 hours because you can't take the tape anywhere. If they wanted to, they could get a copy of it and take it home and watch it. So yeah. they can be watching game tape wherever they want to be. It's just a matter of do they want to be putting themselves out there for other other players that might be around to go, I see he's watching this game tape. What am I going to be watching for with him? Right. And, you know, how do you, how do you draft these guys? It's, like, unbelievable. Like, how do you draft these kind of this kind of talent at the quarterback position? It's just, you know, you sit there and you watch teams move up in the draft. And I'm like, why are you moving up? Do you think this guy's as good as Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen? If you don't think they are, I don't. Why are you moving up? Just stay where you stay where you are and try to figure something else out. Because I don't know how you can how you can even find guys like this. They don't exist. Not normally. I mean, a lot of times when you see some of the teams trade up, and, and especially the NFL draft, it's basically to be that noted team in the first round coverage that they're still talking about 10 or 11 picks later when some of the teams might be making their first and only early pick of the draft because they won't have another thing until about the fourth or fifth round. And here they are trading up in the first round, and they traded pretty much everything to get this pick. And it ends up being a Trubisky, or it ends up being some other player, like a Ricky Williams, who had a viable career, but the team basically risked everything right. to get him. And that was Mike Dicka. <laughs> yeah, that was the dickhead draft when he was in New Orleans. Yeah, but in this case, it's like anymore. They're just doing it for the attention that they can get in the seven thousand hours of draft coverage. It's like don't worry about that part. Worry about winning the game with this player because in most cases you're picking a name. You're not picking the right player for the position. You're just picking his name. Yeah. Yep. Couple milestones here. First playoff game where opposing quarterbacks each threw for 300 passing yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. First playoff game where opposing teams completed 70% of their passes. Both quarterbacks led their teams in rushing, too. Second such playoff game since 1950. That's kind of a lost stat in all of this. 
In the last two minutes, the 25 combined points are the second most in the last two minutes of a regulation of any game uh, since 1966 Super Bowl era. So just an amazing bunch of, bunch of stuff. But the takeaway from this game for me, obviously, was Josh Allen showed me something because he played a game you know, on the big stage and didn't turn the ball over and did everything for the team to win. The other big thing in this game for me is Patrick Mahomes is back. Uh, if you think he wasn't back last year, he's back now, and uh, he's only got two. He's only got eight quarters of football to play to carry another Super Bowl trophy. And uh, and if you want to, if you want to beat Kansas City, you got to figure out a way to stop those receivers they got too. Um, so it'll be interesting for sure. So let's. You want to talk about this coming weekend? Some predictions here. Let's do it before yeah. we close up shop on another uh, the Fan Man Podcast. So the first game, let's talk about this game between the San Francisco 49ers and um, the L.A. Rams. What do you think about this game? Who would have expected these two teams, other than the fact that you kind of thought that maybe L.A. was going to get there because they they paid a hefty price to get some of the players on their team and to get the quarterback that they needed compared to the quarterback they thought they had when they drafted him and Jared Goff. Now they've got Matt Stafford, who's a proven quarterback, knows how to play in the NFL. I went to the, the, the spot where he was going to be effective, and he showed it all season long. And the fans bought into what he could do from the start. They were basically excited about having a quarterback that looked like a quarterback, and not just some guy that was the the next big thing coming out of college. But that was all he really was. Right. Jerry Goff is a big thing out of California, where everybody thought, "Well, maybe you've got the next Aaron Rodgers," and it's like. No, you really have the next uh, throwing name out of the hat that might have played a Cal that nobody thinks about because they just weren't that good. And that's <laughs> what we get with Jared Goff. And it showed when he was in Detroit because, yeah, Detroit has nothing, but Jared Goff was not going to help them out at all either. Right. So it's like you, you found the next big um, piece of trash and sent it off. And that's what. Dallas, or Detroit got in the quarterback was the next big keeping pile of garbage. Right. So they're going to keep going in that direction as long as the Ford family keeps saying, you know what, we got money, let's spend it. Yeah. Yep. So in this this game here, the Rams and the 49ers, the 49ers beat the Rams. They played twice, of course, during the season. San Francisco, November 15th, it was a Monday, Monday night game. San Francisco 31, the Rams uh, 10. And then later on in the year, January 9th, actually the last game of the year, San Francisco was behind, but they pulled back and they won, beating the Rams 27-24, uh, to 24, which is probably the worst thing in the world, I think, was the fact that um, that the Rams lost to them twice already this year. <laughs> yeah, there is that. But you know, the other thing, too, is San Francisco needed to win that game. Otherwise, they weren't getting in the playoffs. Right. That's right. That's no. right. Yep. It's going to be a matter here of can San Francisco come with that need-to-win attitude to keep going, or are they going to just be like, well, we beat you twice. What are you going to do? Yep. And uh, SoFi Stadium is going to be going crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, it's improbable to think of. All of a sudden, the Rams have fans. Well, the Rams, Rams not only have fans because of this new facility, but the fact that they may get to see two more games with their team at their yeah. facility. 
Right. And it's the second year in a row where we see that kind of situation where the de facto home team wins the Super Bowl at their place again. So it'll be interesting. Yep. You going to make a call on this one? Um, to be honest with you, I think it's going to be a case where San Francisco shows up and does their thing, and the, the big lights for the Rams kind of tear down on them, and they can't find the end zone to save their life because they can't keep hands on the ball. I mean, Cam Akers, we've seen issues with holding on to the ball. Yep. And Cooper Cup, if you hit him in the right spot, he's going to fumble it. And San Francisco, San Francisco will take advantage of that. And they'll be able to run some clock, too, because it's something that they've been known to do all season. So I'm, I'm going to say that the uh, 49ers have a big chance to pull the upset here. Yeah. Well, I think the 49ers have a chance to pull the upset. The Rams are three-and-a-half-point favorite in the game. It's in L.A. But um, I just think the Rams are in a groove. I think beating, um, beating Tampa Bay, Tom Brady, the Super Bowl champions, is going to set them in a good position. They're coming home again for this game. They lost to San Francisco twice. Matt Stafford's riding the, a stream of momentum here. And that darn line for the Rams, including Aaron Donald, they look like I mean, they could stop the run. They could stop the pass, too, even though a lot of mistakes. I think they're going to clean up some of the errors. I mean, maybe we might get a Stafford interception in this game because I don't know how much more he can go without throwing an interception. But I don't think we're going to get Cooper Cup and Cam Akers fumbling. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the Rams, uh, the favorite. I always go with the favorites. I don't know why, but I'm going to take the Rams. But I think it's going to be a good game. This one, I think it'll be a good game um, for about three and a half quarters. Yeah, and then I, in my case, I think San Francisco is going to do the things they need to do to pull it out, and especially eat some clock if they have the lead pretty well. They're going to eat clock as much as possible instead of trying to yeah. rush the points because you try to put more points on the board, your potential is that you're going to fumble it away, and they return it for six, and then all of a sudden you're like playing on your on your heels in hopes that uh, you get your composure back so that they don't score on you again. Yeah, well, San Francisco could run the football. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And and when they're running the football, that means the Rams can't score. Exactly. And they're, they're going to do a lot of running because they want to be able to eat the clock as much as possible, especially against a team like the Rams, who, if they get the ball, they pass deep enough. They could maybe use a minute off the clock instead of using 13 to run 18 or 19 plays. They might be able to get five or six-yard pass drives or not five or six air pass drives, but five or six passing plays, and they're in the end zone in a minute. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, if here's the thing, right? And I said it about the Cowboy game, too. I said, you got to stop Debo Samuel. So if there's a way where the Rams can stop Debo Samuel, I think they just win the game, period. Because that guy's been just tremendous for San Francisco. And you shut them down, make Jimmy G try to beat you. And that's the whole game that San Francisco plays is they – they go around the periphery of uh, Jimmy G and they work around him instead of with him, and it's been working. But I think it's gonna, I, I think it's gonna stop here. But we'll see, we'll see, right? That's why they play him. Yeah. That's why they play him. That's... All right, the next one: Cincinnati at Kansas City. What's the score here? I'm thinking Cincinnati's run of luck may fall, and they'll get beat by at least 14 in this one because yeah. I. It's just Kansas City has too many weapons, and if they can counter on Jamar Chase enough, there's nothing else that 
that uh, Cincinnati's going to pull out to be able to stand out. So it's going to be a lot of Joe Burrow having to overwork because if he doesn't have Jamar Chase to throw to, too many of the other guys are going to be ineffective then too. Right. It's kind of funny. So you think about this game, Joe Burrow now is going to Arrowhead against Kansas City and Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes. So if Cincinnati pulls this one out, what do we do with the ranking now of Burrow, Allen, and Mahomes? How how far can you put Burrow? Can you put Burrow up? Burrow's going to have, I mean, Burrow, man, people are going to be talking about Burrow like nobody's business. Can you imagine he wins an NCAA you know, championship as a quarterback at LSU. Two years later, he wins a uh, Super Bowl. That would be crazy. It would be, but then the other side is, what is what are you saying? A couple of years of Mac Jones was to do the same thing, where yeah. he wins an NCAA title, and all of a sudden he leads New England to a, a Super Bowl yeah. and wins it. You know, it's like what what are these current quarterback classes in the last like five ten years compared to the ones that were growing that we were watching for the last five or ten years? prior to these guys stepping in and taking over. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah, so you like Kansas City by two touchdowns, right? Yeah, and that's what I do. Yeah, I think... I don't, I don't think Cincinnati he, has the defense to really stop. Yeah, the, I don't uh, know what Cincinnati wants to do. I mean, maybe they run a little bit more to mix in just to keep you know things honest a little bit so Burrow's not getting sacked. I don't think they're going to play that way. They're going to play like they have all season, and I think you know Kansas City's going to get is going to get to Burrow. And... Um, and I think what that really hurts Cincinnati when they get to Burrow is that, is that they're going to have to turn the ball over on downs. And the more possessions you give, listen, you got to limit. If you're playing Kansas City, you got to limit their possessions. They got too much yeah. offense there and too much Mahomes, and he's playing as good as he ever has, I think. And you know that's the key thing for Cincinnati. Like we said with San Francisco, it's kind of the same thing. They got to hold the ball, right? Yeah, I mean. It's just like when you're seeing a basketball team and they know what they need to do to keep another team from scoring 75 points is use a lot of clock. But yeah. then you got to get back to play defense. In this case, you got to use clock, but your defense has to be able to uh, manage what they do and keep the other team from moving the ball either. Otherwise, what you're doing with holding on to the clock may not be as effective as you thought it was going to be. Yeah. I mean, they have the receivers and Joe Burrow. I mean, they can, you know, they can move the ball a little bit throwing too. I mean, they, you know, with some slants, you know, where where he can get the ball off quicker, where he's not getting sacked. So, um, I just think Kansas City. <laughs> I just can't see them losing after last week. So I, I got to go with Kansas yeah. City in this one. Yeah, I mean, they just, they just showed up last week when it counted most in what was basically their AFC Championship game being a week earlier. So. Yeah, and let's just hope that these games this weekend are not going to, you know, uh, they're not going to be uh, decided on a replay or something like that, right? That are not decided early and one team is down like 24 and yeah. just shit. Yeah, I think these games will be a little competitive, at least in the first half. Um so there we have it, Chad. And, and uh, anything else before we close up shop? I'm just excited to see what happens with the future of the NFL with the, the quarterbacks that are in now and what's yeah. going to be coming through to see what they do to change yeah. the game from what we were growing up with to what it's going to be and how they 
can manage having both offense when they're running and passing compared to just one side to the other. Yeah. When they can do a throwing situation where first and third down, they can be running for yardage, and then second down being something where it's like, what are they going to do? Are they going to run or are they going to pass? And yeah. not have to use any opportunities to, to uh, punt that some teams have had to do. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. Yes, and we'll we'll find out if um, this season goes the way the Rams wanted it to go. You know, they mortgaged their future. They got the Super Bowl stadium. They got Matt Stafford on the trade. Every you know, picked up all those free agents, traded their picks away, and here we are. They're two games away from making it all happen. And on the other side, you've got Kansas City, who's trying to get back there after uh, disappointment last year, and the upstart Joe Burrow and uh, Shanahan trying to make it back as a coach to at least. Get himself, you know, he was there as the OC for Atlanta. And, um, you know, and, and he was also there for San Francisco, right? Losing to Kansas City already. Yep. Oh, no. Yeah, right? Or, yeah, that's right. So, actually, you know, when you go back to that Super Bowl, San Francisco really had that game. They had that lead, and then it was just all Mahomes at the end. Yeah, that was the, the game where we saw Mahomes become what he is now. And- yeah. We've been paying attention all this time and being rewarded for it. Yep, yep, that's right. So, all right, Chad, well, it's been a great uh, hour and almost an hour and a half, right? Yep, but we had four games that we had to talk a lot about, so. Yep, yep, that's right. All right, Chad, well, you have a good night, and uh, we'll be back to talk about these games and get people ready for the Super Bowl. That we will, and it'll just be all the talk for two weeks of, Who's coming up? Who's coming into this game and going to show up and do their job? Yep. So we'll, it's going to be one of these four teams, and just how exciting the first Super Bowl in LA and in SoFi is going to. Right. All right. You have a good one. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fan Man Podcast. You can catch the Fan Man Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and most other platforms. Check out our Twitter page at. The underscore fan underscore man underscore and tell me what you think.